This is Dave from Belfast Skeptics. Welcome to the first Belfast Skeptics podcast. Uh, if you're not familiar with the group, we've been in existence for about two years now. Uh, there's plenty of details at BelfastSkeptics.com. Uh, we have talks periodically, uh, not, not so much recently, but hopefully we'll be getting started again in September. Uh, the idea behind this podcast was just to put a few of the talks up that we've had over the last couple of years. And uh, hopefully we'll have a few more in the coming months. But but this first one was just uh, the idea behind it was to get the talk by Ken Hom from last night up. So um, hopefully you won't mind us putting this up. Uh, I can take it down if he if he has a problem with it. But I, I think at the very least it will encourage debate. So uh, leave a few comments on the website and uh, enjoy it. Okay, cheers. Well, for those who heard me before, you'll notice that uh, I don't have. An American accent, even though I live in America, I don't want to have an American accent. Originally come from Australia, and I, when I speak in other countries, I people tell me it doesn't matter what they say, they just like to hear saying it. So I can get away with whatever. But I come from a ministry called Answers and Genesis. We're an apologetics organization. That doesn't mean we apologize for our faith, by the way. Quite the opposite. The word uh, apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia. 1 Peter 3.15, which says, always be prepared to give a defense and to give an answer, comes from that Greek word apologia, which means to give a logical reason defense of the faith. And one of the problems I find today in our churches, one of the reasons that we're finding uh, in our Western world, young people pouring out of the church, in fact, leaving the church. In America, two-thirds of young people leave the church by the time they reach uh, college age. You know, in England, the statistics are two-thirds of young people say they don't even believe in God. And people, what's happened, part of what's happened is that the church has not taught the coming generations how to defend the faith, how to answer the skeptical questions of the age. Might teach them what the Bible says, but if we don't prepare them for the culture that we live in and the way in which the attacks occur against scripture, then unfortunately for many of them, they start to doubt and disbelieve scripture. So that's what I want to deal with tonight. I want to talk about that. And uh, we should finish about 12, 1. Um, <laughs> Need that sort of time to be able to really develop that, but uh, no, we're not going to go that long. I noticed, uh, I recognise some people here who were there last night, Valentina, in that in that area. It was a good meeting, and by the way, probably 15, 20% overlap tonight, but you probably forgot it by today anyway, uh, so you need to hear that again. But uh, what I'm going to do is start off with showing you a little video of something that we opened in 2007 in America just to tempt you to come to America. Has anyone here been to the Creation Museum? Oh, I see. You know what? I see a few hands. That's great. The rest of you need to repent of your sin and get there as soon as you can. But it really pertains to what I want to talk to you about tonight, so let me just uh, show you this video. The acclaimed Creation Museum and outreach of Answers in Genesis is a one-of-a-kind museum filled with animatronic characters, interactive videos, a spectacular planetarium, a special effects theater, and many other world-class exhibits. Since its opening in 2007, the Creation Museum has welcomed over 1.5 million guests at its 49-acre location in the greater Cincinnati area. The state-of-the-art 70,000-square-foot museum 
brings the pages of the Bible to life, helping answer the skeptical questions that cause people to doubt that the Bible is true. The dramatic finale of the musical is the last Adam film, where guests experience the glory of God's redemptive plan and hear a clear and powerful presentation of the gospel message. Since the museum's opening, we have heard countless testimonies from adults and young people whose lives have been changed through a museum visit. Now discover how it might change your own life for Christ. Plan your visit at creationmuseum.org and prepare to believe. You don't come to America to go to Disneyland, you come to go to the Creation Museum. But we've had now 1.6 million people in the last five years. It's quite an incredible place. Uh, it's, it's so large that we have uh, all tickets now uh, are two-day tickets so that you can go through and absorb all the information. But what the Creation Museum is all about, it's not just creation versus evolution, it's not just the age of the earth or topics like that, but really a walk through the Bible. Actually, as a ministry, some people tend to think of ministries like Ants and Genesis, oh, they're all about creation versus evolution and fossils and so on. Actually, I want you to understand tonight, the emphasis of our ministry is that we stand on the authority of the Word of God and proclaim the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We're an evangelistic ministry. And what we do at the Creation Museum, and this is what a lot of our literature does too, in a way, we walk people through the Bible. We walk them through what we call the seven C's of Genesis to Revelation. Creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, the creation account, the entrance of sin and death, the flood of Noah's day. By the way, if there really was a global flood, you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. And you know what you find? Billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. And then the Tower of Babel, God gave different languages, forming different people groups, not different races, by the way. But because of man's sin, we're alienated from God. And so then we present the message of Christ's cross and consummation. God's Son steps into history to be the God-man, to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead, like as a free gift of salvation. And one day there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth to come. And people, we, we would understand the basis of that, I'm sure. But here's what's happening. We live in a culture in which those first four seas have come under incredible attack. And because much of the church has not taught coming generations how to answer those skeptical attacks, and what happens is they start to doubt and ultimately disbelieve Scripture. In fact, there's a warning in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, God has a warning through Paul for us here. And just to summarize it for you, what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians 11.3 is this. I have a warning for you. Satan is going to use the same method on you as he did on Eve to get you to a position of not believing the things of God. Let me word it another way for you. Satan's going to use the same method on you and your kids and your grandkids and your neighbours and your friends as he did on Eve to get you into a position of not believing the things of God. If Satan's going to use the same method on us as he did on Eve, don't you think we should go back and find out what that method is? And you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and we read how the devil came to Eve and formed the serpent and said, Did God really say? Yea, hath God said, Did God really say? What was Satan doing here? To create doubt in regard to the Word of God so that that doubt would lead to unbelief. People, do you realize something? The first attack was on the Word of God. And God's Word has come under attack down through the ages. And here's the thing that we seem to miss as God's people. That attack manifests itself in different ways in different areas of history. Do you think when Peter and Paul were preaching about the resurrection that somebody would come up to them and say, hey, it's all very well to preach about the resurrection, but what do you do with carbon dating? Well, no, because that's a 20th century invention. Do you think when Martin Luther nailed the theses on the door of the church 
Uh, do you think somebody came to him and said, that's all very well and good, but what do you do with dinosaurs? Did they get on Noah's Ark? Actually, the word dinosaur wasn't even invented until 1841. My point is, you can go down through the ages and see how God's word has come under attack in different ways, in different eras of history, and God raised up people to deal with those attacks. People, there's a particular attack on the word of God in today's era of history, and most of the church has succumbed to it. Most have accommodated to it. We haven't dealt with it. And I believe that attack to be this. The teaching of evolution, Big Bang, millions of years, that permeates the world. In our era of history, what other time have we had access to television and the internet? There's education systems that are organized in nations around the world and secular museums where anyone who has access to any of those has heard of evolution millions of years. Big Bang. And you know what most of the churches said? Here's what's happened. I've had pastors tell me. Oh, I told my, my young people, you can believe in evolution as long as God did it. You can believe in millions of years as long as God did it. You can believe uh, in, in, in uh, the Big Bang as long as God did it. And they say to me, what's wrong with that? As long as God did it. Trust in Jesus, guys. You know what my answer is? It is not what God said he did. See, what happens when somebody, you know, a young person comes and says, hey, pastor, mum, dad, you told me to believe in evolution as long as God did it, but evolution has man from an ape man and woman from an ape woman. The Bible has man from dust and woman from his side. So you're telling me God got it wrong? Hey, mum and dad, you told me to believe in the Big Bang as long as God did it, but the Big Bang has a sun before the earth, and the earth is a hot, molten blob that cools down for millions of years. The Bible says the earth was made first before the sun covered with water. You mean God got it wrong? Hey, mum and dad, you told me to believe in millions of years as long as, as long as God did it. Pastor, you told me to believe in millions of years as long as God did it. Who cares whether it's millions of years or not? By the way, it doesn't matter if this is the word of God or not. And you know, if you believe in millions of years, do you realize something? Do you know what's in the fossil record? Said to be millions of years before man. Do you know where the idea of millions of years came from? Came out of atheism. Came out of atheism in England. People trying to justify explaining the fossils in the world and life without God. And they said those layers of fossils were laid down over millions of years before man. You know what's in the fossil record? Evidence of brain tumors, cancer. Wait a minute, how could that exist before God said everything was very good? There's evidence of animals eating each other. Wait a minute, the Bible says a vegetarian is started. Evidence of thorns said to be hundreds of millions of years old. Wait a minute, the Bible says thorns came after the curse. How can you marry millions of years with the Bible? In fact, if you do, then God's responsible for death and suffering. People, God is not responsible for death and suffering. We are because we sinned in that. And you know one of the big questions today? How can you believe in a loving God? Look at all the death and suffering. But you see, it's not God's fault, it's our fault. The history of the world tells us death is an enemy and intrusion because of sin. If you believe in millions of years, death has always been here. And people, so many of us in the church, even in the conservative churches, in, in countries around the world, so many of people have said, well, you know, maybe you can fit millions of years in a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Well, maybe the days of creation were long periods of time. Well, maybe God used evolution. You know, that doesn't matter as long as you trust in Jesus. People, the message of Jesus comes from this book. And if this part of the book is not true, how can you trust the rest? That's what's really happened. You know, as I travel around the world, I get asked the same basic questions wherever I go. and have done for 35 years. How do you know there's a God? Where did God come from? How did Noah get the animals on the ark? 
Where did Cain get his wife? Cain explained the races of people to go back to Adam and Eve. What about all the so-called ape men? What about carbon dating? What, how do you explain dinosaurs? By the way, put your hand up if you've heard those sorts of questions. Just put your hand up. Oh, wow, that's a surprise. No, it's not. Do you know why you put your hands up? Because Satan's going to use the same method on us as he did on Eve. Do you know what I call that? It's the Genesis 3 attack. What's the Genesis 3 attack? Has God said? Did God really say? Those questions, the reason you've heard them, because that's the Genesis 3 attack of our day. And you know what most of us have said? Well, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I have no idea what to do with dinosaurs. Trust in Jesus, Johnny. And what pervades our world? You know, you go to the Natural History Museum in London. Millions of kids go there each year. And they go up on the second floor and they're told you're just an ape. Or in Northern Ireland, they go to the Giant's Causeway. You've probably heard of that place. It was actually headline news in America recently. You know why? Because the atheists and Richard Dawkins are all up in arms because the National Trust built a new business centre and they're giving me creationist view. So I went up there to see it. Millions of years, 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 millions of years. Oh, but if you go here and you press a button and you'll hear about the debate and, and a mention of biblical creationists, the people, it presents every, it presents the causeway in, in terms of millions of years as fact. Doesn't even question it. Richard Dawkins and, and others are totally misrepresenting what's being done there. In fact, you know what blew my mind? On the big screen, the big feature of the whole place is how these mythical giants built the causeway. And that's the feature. And the atheists are happy to have that because they sell lots of products, t-shirts and other things that I saw there. But if, can you imagine, even if they put Noah's flood as, as, as a myth or something and said this was just a legend and had it on the big screen, oh, the atheists will be up in arms. But when it's giants and, and legends about, who cares? See, any mention of Christianity in our Western world even a slight mention of Christianity. And the atheists are up and up because people, it's a battle. It's a battle between two foundations, God's word and man's word. And the secularists have had so much success in the culture. You know why they've had so much success? Because Christians haven't gone out there and defended faith. We haven't been answering the questions. And many of us accommodated what the secularists said. How, how long is it... What have we seen happening? There's so many Christians saying, well, you can believe in evolution millions of years, doesn't matter. Most Christian leaders, most of our Bible college professors, most of our seminary professors, the majority in our Western world say you can believe in evolution millions of years. We said you can believe what the secularists believe. And now we're starting to see the anti-Christian philosophy permeating the culture. And now we're saying, oh, well, it's us. People, we didn't stand up for what was right. We need to repent before a holy God. What's happening is there's been an incredible attack on those four seas. And you know how the secularists see it? In the movie called Creation, which is about Darwin, Paul Bettany, Bettany, who's acting out Darwin, was asked by the man acting Thomas Huxley, the ardent humanist of Darwin's day, where, where, where Huxley was talking to, to Darwin. And I want you to hear what he said, because this is the secularist representing what evolution means to them. The Almighty can another creature of every species in under a week. You've killed God, son. You have killed God. See, they see evolution as killing God. 
And people, that's what they've been doing in our culture. Killing God in the school system. Killing God in the media. Killing God in the culture. And so then at the Giant's Causeway, in an audio, if you press a button, you'll hear just a mention of creation and a mention of, of, of the Bible, and they're up in arms because they think they killed God. And in fact, here's what's happening. Here's what is happening across our world. This is the testimony I hear over and over again. These young men in America, there's many of these videos on the internet. Yep, how do I became an atheist? I was born into a Christian family and indoctrinated as uh, growing up as a kid. That next year was freshman year of high school, and I started learning about evolution in my biology class. Then uh, that's where I realized I had never seriously questioned or thought about my religious beliefs. So as I learned about evolution and just started thinking philosophically about it, I realized that there couldn't be a God. So I became an atheist. People, that's been repeated over and over and over again around the world. In America, two-thirds of young people say they don't believe. Two-thirds of young people have walked away from the church by the time they reach college age. By the way, if that keeps happening, where's the church in America going to be in future generations? It'll be where England is today, and it's basically spiritually dead. In England, the Penguin Books did a survey back in 2009 when they published a book called Killing God. And they said the survey showed two-thirds of young people don't even believe in God. In fact, you know, the uh, Parliament uh, did a study back in March, it was released to the press, the British Parliament, and they said Christianity is waning in England. In fact, the Telegraph just published an article just a few days ago, and it said, you know, church attendance in England was around 50% by the middle of the 19th century. In fact, even after the war, it was still about 50%. But now they're saying it's declined down to about 6%. And in fact, uh, some of the websites out there collating everything together say that church attendance will be down to 3% by the year 2020 in, in England. And they even talked about Northern Ireland. They said how church attendance has dropped. Yes, you might have some churches, you know, have, have in certain areas a high percentage, and other churches very low percentage, but the average shows you it's dropping. And you might have some churches growing here and there, as we do in America. People stand back and look at the big picture. We're losing the culture. Whether you're in Northern Ireland, whether you're in England or Wales, or whether you're in Australia or whether you're in America, we're losing the culture from a Christian perspective. You know whose fault it is? I believe it's the church's fault. You know, in 1 Chronicles 12.32, we read this. The men of Ishakar who had understanding of the times. I want to challenge us that we understand the times we live in. Think of the times we live in. There are thousands of church buildings across Europe and across the United Kingdom. But now the norm is more like this, and most of these are from England. Here's a church that was turned into a seed temple, and here's one that was turned into a rock mining center, and this one was turned into a museum, and this one into a theater, and this one into an information center, this one into a clothing store, this one a habitat shop, this one into a music store, this one into a liquor store, this one into a nightclub, this one into a tattoo and piercing studio. That's what's happening all across Europe and the United Kingdom. Increasingly, it's happening in America. What is going on? In fact, I challenge people in America. America has been, in my opinion, the greatest Christianized nation on earth in our modern day. They have more Christian resources right now than they've ever had in their history. But when I ask audiences, I could be preaching in churches of five, 6,000 people, and I say, as a culture, is America becoming more Christian or less Christian every day? They all, re they all say, less Christian. And we have to ask a question. Why is not the church touching the culture like it used to? I mean, you've got these mega churches in America and all these Christian resources, and for all of that, we're losing the culture. 
So something is wrong. And in fact, you know what we're seeing in America? Atheists rallying. And now in Washington, D.C., they had a rally in March, and they were telling people, bring your kids to the rally, and they likened it to the gay movement, where they said this was a, a coming out of the closet a rally, where they had teenagers holding signs up saying, hi, mum and dad, guess what, I'm an atheist. There was an, an, an atheist concert at a military post in America uh, recently, Fort Bragg. And it's interesting to note how it was reported in the newspapers. We got the Darwin fans in the house to ask a performer named Baba Brinkman before launching into a rap song about evolutionary biology. See how important Darwin and evolution is to the atheists. And then he had them whipped into a chant saying creationism is dead wrong. By the way, if we went into a military base and whipped people to, up to saying a chant like, you know, atheism is dead wrong or something, or Islam is dead wrong, we'd be thrown out of our noses. Oh, but they can say whatever they want against Christianity. Do you notice that that's happening more and more? Christians, you can say anything you want about them. You know, in, in America, we're seeing more of this sort of thing. There's a university in Texas, San Antonio, Texas, where an atheist group set up a booth and encouraged students to exchange their Bibles for pornography. And they have billboard campaigns across America, as you've had certain similar sorts of things, ads on buses and so on in the United Kingdom, don't believe in God and so on, attacking Christianity attacking the God of the Bible. This year, they have new billboards for 2012 in America. And, and they're mocking religion, mocking Christianity, mocking God, mocking the flood of Noah's day, totally misrepresenting the Bible. Attacking Christianity. In Australia, uh, Sydney Planetarium launched a new program recently, and, and their whole advertising to, to the public is based on this idea. Your father is a red giant, your mother is a star, your grandpa is a blue supergiant. Based on work like work of Lawrence Krauss in America who says you're only here because the stars exploded. That's where you came from. In fact, he goes on to say, you know, the atoms in your left hand came from a different star than your right hand. But people, we look at the world, and you know what, we shouldn't be surprised at the world. Doesn't the Bible tell us the world is against God? Doesn't the Bible tell us they're going to suppress the truth and unrighteousness? You know what we should be surprised at? The state of the church. You know, in America last year, Christianity Today, and I know that goes around the world, that magazine, its focus in the June issue was on an increasing number of Christian academics in Bible colleges, Christian colleges, seminaries in America that no longer believe in literal Adam and literal Eve. And in fact, they quoted a number of professors from Calvin College, said to be the leading college of the Christian Reformed uh, denomination in, in America, which has gone very liberal. And they quoted uh, one of their professors saying this, thus Eden cannot be a literal description of how things really were in the primeval, primal human past. Harlow proposed the understanding of the form may need to be reformulated. The church must be willing to decouple original sin from the notion that all humans descended from a single pair. By the way, if there's no original sin, then if Adam and Eve are not real people, tell me who you are and where you came from and why you're sinners and why you need salvation and why we need to preach the gospel. And they quoted other professors from Calvin College saying they don't believe in a literal fall anymore. They don't believe in a literal Adam and a literal Eve. But that's true of so many Christian colleges and seminaries across America. Vacant Bookhouse, a normally conservative Christian book publishers, publishing more books like this. The evolution of Adam, in which Peter ends, the author said evolution demands that a special, the special creation of the first Adam is described in the Bible is not literally historical. By the way, you know what the church should be standing up and saying? But the Bible demands there be a literal Adam and a literal Eve. 
Westminster Presbyterian Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan this year launched a program called Gay Christian Yes. In fact, it was reported in the newspapers this way. Members of the gay community claim references in scripture to same-gender sexual relationships cannot be applied to the loving, committed same-gender relationships we know today. In other words, even though the Bible said this, and that's what you thought it meant in the past, it doesn't mean that anymore. You know what that's called? Postmodernism. You can make words mean whatever you want to make them to mean. What has happened? You know, actually, I think the President of the United States sums it up. You see, before he was elected President, and during his presidency, and ever since, there's a particular mantra of the President of the United States, and he says this is a good thing for America. For America. Listen to what he has, he has been saying is a good thing. Where we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. What he's really saying is we're no longer a nation that believes in one God, we're now a nation that believes in many gods. Isn't that great? See, that's the change that's occurred in our Western world. It's really a change of religion. You know how many religions there are in the world, by the way? Want to take a guess? I'll tell you how many there are. I know exactly how many there are. Two. That's right. Genesis 3. Trust God, or you become as God. You start with God's word, or man's word. That's it. You know, it's interesting. The founding fathers of America, most of them were Christians who built their thinking on the Bible. That's why a Christian morality permeated America. But you know what's happening in America as has happened over here? We're changing our foundation from God's word to man's word. You know, even in the secular schools over here, more and more they're throwing the Bible out. They're not taught about creation. They're taught evolution as fact. They're taught it's man who determines what truth is. And people, when you change from God's word to man's word, you change the worldview from, world from the absolutes of Christianity to moral relativism that pervades the culture. In fact, I believe there's a verse of scripture that describes our culture today. In the book of Judges, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man would get what is right in his own eyes. You take generations of kids through an education system and tell them they're just animals and they're just the result of evolutionary processes, then who decides right and wrong? They do. Who decides what marriage is? They do. Let me tell you what this battle really is all about. I want Richard Dawkins to tell you what this battle is all about. You've all heard of Richard Dawkins, haven't you? I want you to hear it from his own mouth as he addressed the Atheist Conference in Australia this year. Because this is what it's all about. Maybe we should take back intelligent design in the true sense of the word. Let's take back morality. Let's redesign our morality. Rather than trying to read what's right and wrong in a 3,000-year-old book. Religion has hijacked morality for centuries. Let's take it back and intelligently design it. Let's intelligently design our lives rather than be dictated to by priests and mullahs. Let's intelligently design our future using the gift of foresight, something that never existed before brains, and for practical purposes that means human brains, evolved. In other words, I want to write my own rules. I don't want God telling me what's right and what's wrong. I want to decide truth for myself. People, that's what it's all about. That's what the creation evolution issue is all about. And you know the sad thing? Most of our Christian leaders have said to generations of kids, you can believe what the secular world believes, just trust in Jesus. Now we're seeing them giving up the rest of the book. The Genesis 3 attack has hit the church. And in America, as I said to you, 
two-thirds of young people, statistics show, are leaving the church by the time they reach college age. In fact, we wrote a book about it. This book applies to, I'd say, all our Western cultures. Because we had America's research group go and research these people. They went and found these two-thirds that are walking away from the church by college age and asked them a lot of questions, such as, at what age did you begin to really question contents in the Bible? 40% were questioning the Bible by about age 10 or 11. Another 45% by the end of high school. If you don't believe the Bible, when did you first start to have doubts? 40% by the end, by, by about age 10, 11, 12. Another 45% by the end of high school. People, we're losing these kids at a young age. And you know what? That's just as applicable over here as it is anywhere else in our Western world. Well, you, you know what it means? We need to be training these kids from a young age. Right from when they're born. You know, I think the Bible even says something about that. Doesn't it? Would you say questioning was the beginning of your doubt in the Bible? Questioning. Do you see what's really happened? Did God really save us the Did God really save local flood? Did God really say he cooked us and made, made a man to be saved, made a woman? Did God really say created in six days? You know how much of the church has said? Oh, maybe he didn't really mean that. I know it says it, maybe he didn't mean it. Maybe he was the big man. Maybe he was devil, maybe he was millions of years. And, and that, that doesn't matter, Johnny. As long as you trust in Jesus. And little Johnny starts to realize, wait a minute, this is not true. And you're telling me I can take the views of the world and reinterpret the Bible here. Maybe I should take the views of the secular scientists and reinterpret marriage too. That's what they're doing. And here's what we found from the research. You know what we tend to do in our churches, in our Sunday schools? We teach Bible stories. You know what I mean by Bible stories? German great fish feeding the 5,000, Paul's mystery journey, Jesus on the cross, Noah in the ark. And you might say, well, don't you believe those? Yes. What's wrong with that? It's a way to teach them. Number one, I want you to tell me. I know Northern, I know Northern Ireland audiences are always very reserved. You don't have to be reserved, okay? You can actually speak. See, when you like to get you to laugh a little. All right, in England, the, the, the English audiences, well, they just sit there like fossils. I don't want you to be like that. But people, what does the word story come to mean in our modern era of history? Come to mean what? Yeah, something that's not written. Fairy tales. Think about what we do. Kids, let's have a Bible story. Come and have a Bible story. And here's the problem. Most of the kids from our churches go to secular schools. Where do they, we learn real stuff at school. We learn about fossils and, and we learn about the universe and we learn about real things. What do you do at church? We have stories. And you know what else we found? And by the way, I, I urge the church, stop using the word story. Talk about count. Something that means real history. To get across to them. The Bible is not just a book of stories. It's a book of history. You know what else we found? In most of our churches and Sunday schools, we don't teach apologetics. You know what I mean by that? We don't teach them how to defend their faith. We don't get them ready for the world. You know, how many of us can answer questions about... Well, how do you explain dinosaurs? Does the Bible say anything about dinosaurs? How many animals did Noah need on the ark? Was there really enough room for them on the ark? Where did Cain get his wife? What about the races of people? How do you answer carbon 14? By the way, if you can't answer those, then your kids can't. People, we're not teaching the next generation how to defend their faith. Do you know who is? Do you know who is teaching apologetics? The schools and the BBC and the Giants Causeway, the National Trust. You know what I mean? Here's what they're being taught in the world. 
Here's the evidence the Bible's not true. Here's the evidence you evolved from eight life creatures. Here's the evidence you're just an animal. Here's the evidence for millions of years. Here's the evidence for the Big Bang. What do we do in our churches? Let's have a story. You see the problem? It's a massive problem. And we wonder why young people walking away from the church, we wonder why they're questioning the Bible, doubting the Bible. People, the Genesis 3 attack has hit the church. And we've allowed it to happen. Our elders and deacons have allowed it to happen. Our pastors, our, our Christian college professors, not all, but the majority. Oh, by far the majority. We've done the research. Now, I've been in this ministry for 35 years as well. By far the majority. Psalm 11 3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Here's a barn that had a foundation that collapsed and the barn came down. That collapsing barn to me represents a collapsing moral fabric of our culture. Why are we seeing a collapse in the moral fabric of our culture? Because a foundation has come under attack. What foundation? The authority of the Word of God. And in this era of history, the focus of the attack has been on the first 11 chapters of the Bible. And most of the church accommodated to it. And I'm going to say this to you. If you reinterpret Genesis, if you try to fit millions of years in a gap, or millions of years in a day, or whatever you do, when you try to add anything outside the Bible into the Bible, you do two things. One, you undermine the history that's foundational of all doctrine. And secondly, you undermine the very Word of God itself. You know, in Matthew 19, when Jesus was asked about marriage, you know what he said? Haven't you read? Oh, don't you like that statement? Have you not read? You know, my, my father's favorite verses of scripture. Thus saith the Lord, it is written. Have you not read? I grew up with those. I think they affected me. <laughs> Have you not read? He which made the beginning made the male and all female. You know where we quote from? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And it said, For this cause shall a man be father and mother and so on, keep up his wife, and they'll be one flesh. Where do you quote from? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. How many of you have heard of Christian leaders who say Genesis 1 and 2 are two different accounts of creation? Hand up if you've heard that. Oh, a lot of us heard that. People, Genesis 1 is an overview, chronological order. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. You know what most of Genesis 2 is? A detailed account of the sixth day of creation as to how he made male and female. He made man from dust. He brought the animals. He, he named animals. He saw that he was alone. And so then God put him to sleep and from his side he made a walk. It's the details of the sixth day of creation. Not two different accounts of creation. And Jesus quotes from both Genesis 1 and 2, talking about the same one man and one woman. And by the way, marriage is to be a male and female, not a male and male. Somebody better tell a, better tell a prime minister of Britain, the president of the United States, the senators, the congressmen, the parliamentarians. Oh, but when you do, because we've, we've done that with some of those leaders, let me tell you what they say. Oh, but wait a minute. There are many church leaders and academics in, in Christian colleges and seminaries that say you don't need to believe in the literal Genesis. And therein lies the problem. If Genesis is history, marriage is a man and a woman. If Genesis is not history, marriage is anything you want to make it to be. If you've told your kids it doesn't matter if Genesis is history, then don't expect them to believe marriage is a man and a woman. By the way, not just marriage. Do you realize every biblical doctrine of theology directly and indirectly is founded in Genesis 1 to 11? Why is there sin in the world? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we die? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have a seven day week? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is Jesus called the last Adam? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we need a new heavens and a new earth? Genesis 1 to 11. Why are you all wearing clothes? Which is a good thing, but why are you wearing clothes? Genesis 1 to 11. 
Do you think Genesis 1 to 11 is important? It's the foundational history for the rest of the Bible. And you know, I was at one church in Florida and I said, Can you name one doctrine that's not founded in Genesis 1 to 11? And one man jumped up in the middle of the audience, that's 3,000 people in the church, and he said, What about the doctrine of election? And I said, Oh, well, you wouldn't need such a doctrine if man hadn't fallen, Genesis 1 to 11. <laughs> you get the point, don't you? But you know, when you speak boldly today, Christians get intimidated by the world because you know what the world says? But you people are intolerant. Oh, you've heard that, haven't you? Oh, yeah, I, you know, I have, I have these people. I remember going to a Bible college once, and I was to speak there, and I, I got in for a particular reason, and, and the chaplain and the professors weren't very happy at all. In fact, uh, I, gave, I was allowed to have 30 minutes, and afterwards they had a two-hour seminar to try to decontaminate the students. I think it's pretty good that they had to have two hours with them to try to undo what I did in 30 minutes. But, see, what he said to me was, he said, oh, he said, we're not like you, you creationists. We allow all views of Scripture. I said, oh, all views of Genesis. I said, really? Yeah. I said, well, my view is they're all wrong, and what I give is the right view, because it's based on the Bible. He said, but you're intolerant of our view, of our views. I said, you're intolerant of my view. He said, but you're intolerant of our views. And I said, wait a minute. He said, we allow all views. I said, no, you don't. You're not allowed my views. You know, it's like having marriage. I've had people say to me, you've got to allow all views of marriage. Okay, well, my view is based on the Bible that the marriage is to be a man and a woman, and that's it. Well, well wait a minute. Now you're being intolerant of our views. You're being intolerant of my views. Wait a minute. You're being intolerant. Wait a minute. You're being intolerant. You know what it is? It's a clash of two world views because you've got two different foundations. God's word and man's word. That's what it is. But you know, many Christians have this idea, oh, wait a minute, if we, if, if we demand this and we're being intolerant, people, you've got to understand, they're, they're not just intolerant of, of what you believe based on the Bible, they become intolerant of us personally. Richard Dawkins is intolerant of Christians. That's why he calls them names. He hates God. When I speak boldly, you know what, I get misrepresented a lot by some of these Christian leaders. Because you speak boldly of the Bible, they say, that can have an answer to Genesis. They say if you don't believe in the literal Genesis and the young earth and six literal days, you can't be a Christian. I didn't say that, did I? In fact, what does the Bible say? Romans 10 9. You confess in your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God has raised you from the dead, and believe in the young earth and six literal days, you'll be saved. <laughs> right? No. Salvation is conditioned upon faith in Christ, not what you believe about the age of the earth or evolution. In fact, there are Christians that believe in evolution. There are Christians that believe in millions of years. There, there's some very godly, godly Christian men I know that believe in millions of years. And then people say, so then it doesn't matter. Yes, it does. If you can get this one point, then, you can, then we can get ready to round up so we can go home. If you don't get this one point, we'll stay until you get it. Okay. This is the main point of what I want to give to you. Okay. This is it. I would imagine in a group like this in Northern Ireland, in a church like this, probably the majority of you would believe that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. Is that correct? Okay, I want to ask you a question. How do you know Jesus rose from the dead when you weren't there and you don't have a movie rewrote? How do you know he rose from the dead? Where'd you get it from? From the Bible. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Most of our Christian leaders are saying you can take the sectorist views of geology and biology and reinterpret the scripture. 
And those same sectorists, like Richard Dawkins, would say a man can't rise from the dead. You take his views of evolution of millions of years and add to the Bible, wait a minute, maybe we better reinterpret the resurrection, right? No, you can't do that. Suppose you believe in the virgin birth too, right? What, you talk to Mary? Were you there? How do you know? The Bible said. Wait a minute, the sectorists say you can't have a virgin birth in humans. Yeah, but, but this is the Bible. And you know what? Probably in most of your mainstream churches here in Northern Ireland, I could go to those churches and I would say, and you believe Jesus fed thousands of people as a miracle from a few loaves of fishes? Yes, how do you know the Bible says? You believe the Israelites crossed the Red Sea as a miracle? How do you know the Bible says? You believe the Israelites crossed the Jordan River as a miracle? How do you know the Bible says? You believe that the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years, their clothes didn't wear out, their feet didn't swell, and their shoes didn't wear out, opposite to what happens today? Oh, that, you can't believe that. That'd be anti-science that things don't wear out. Well, no, no, but the Bible says. Oh, you believe a man was swallowed by a fish and lived in a fish for three days? How do you know? The Bible says. But as soon as you come to Genesis 1 to 11, in most of our churches and seminaries and Bible colleges, Christian colleges in, in, in our world, and I'm concentrating on the Western world, and you say, God created in six days, and there was a global flood, and man was made from dust, and woman from his side, and death came after sin, and what do you hear? Oh no, oh, no you can't. Oh no, but what about the Big Bang? We've got to believe in evolution. Well, we've got to reinterpret the day. Oh, we, we've got to add, oh, faith was a local flood. Well, we're not really sure. Trust in Jesus anyway. People, you know what I found? Many of our great, great men of God who are out there preaching the Word of God have one hermeneutic, one way of interpreting the Bible in Genesis 1 to 11 and a different one for the rest of the Bible, and they'll never use the method they use for the first 11 chapters of the rest of the Bible. It's, it's schizophrenic. They've got a problem. And I think it's because that they've got this wrong idea about science. You know, it's interesting that the Giant's Causeway, it says, you know, Mainstream science says, well actually science doesn't say anything. Scientists say things. And, and you see, what happens is most people don't understand this is a whole nother lecture in itself. We could go on and do that, but it's an hour. But the word science means knowledge. And you know there's knowledge gained by observation to enable us to build technology. You can put one of those rovers up on Mars, build a computer, real computer. And, 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 and we can applaud that science. But when you're talking about the past, origins, that's not observational science, that's historical science. That's the realm of belief. You weren't there. That's like a forensic scientist trying to reconstruct a murder scene. Didn't see it happen. And you know what the secularists do? They mix historical science and observational science together. When you go to the Giant's Causeway, you've got basalt, observational science. You can see that. You can tell that we all agree it's basalt. You've got those pillars. They cooled, uh, and, uh, they cooled without water. We know that because of how, how they cool under water. We, we, can, we can see the experiment with that. We can do that. And then they say millions of years, that's historical science. They weren't there and didn't dig them up with the labels on You know, over and over again in our schools, the secularists mix historical science and observational science together, and they call it one word, science. And that's why kids get so confused. You see, what I want us to understand is this. You know what happened in England in the late 1700s, early 1800s? When the idea of millions of years, which came out of atheism, and was popularized, there were people like Thomas Chalmers, the founder of the Free Church of Scotland, who invented the gap theory, put the millions of years in between verse 1 and verse 2. That's how we get rid of the millions of years. 
And, and then others said, well, maybe it was a local flood. It wasn't a global flood. And then along came Darwin, popularizing evolution. And church leaders said, well, maybe God used evolution. Then eventually, you know, Sir Fred Royal coins the term the Big Bang. Well, maybe God used the Big Bang. And you know what happened? Wittingly or unwittingly, leaders in the church unlocked the door. And the door they unlocked was, you don't have to take this as written. You can take man's ideas, man's views of historical science, beliefs about the past, and you can add them to the Bible. And you can reinterpret the Bible. You unlock the door. And that door is that you don't have to take the Bible as written. What do you notice in the Bible when there's compromise in one generation? Is it usually to a greater or lesser extent in the next? Greater. The door gets open further. And then the next. Greater. And then the next. Greater. People, the issue is one of authority. I want you to stand back and look at the big picture. You can be a wonderful Bible-believing Christian and preach the gospel and see people saved. But if we haven't kept that door shut, we have collectively added to the undermining of the authority of the word has been a generational loss of understanding of biblical authority. If you can get that one point, you will start to understand what's happened to our culture. And you know what we need to do as God's people? We need to get out there and shut that door. We need to be raising up generations who stand on the authority of God's word and know how to defend the faith and will boldly proclaim it. You know, a summary of what's really happened to me is Charles Darwin's grave. I don't know how many of you have seen Charles Darwin's grave, but it's in Westminster Abbey, in the floor of the church. And you know what hit me? A man that popularized a philosophy to destroy the foundation of the church, to attack the authority of the word of God, is honored by the church and buried in the foundation of the church. That's what's happened to, to Great Britain. That's what's happened to America. That's what's happened to our Western world, to our whole world. They revere Darwin so much over here, you've got pictures of him on your 10 pound note. I'm sure you want to get rid of that now so you can hand it in the offering plate waiting. <laughs> so we'll take it off your head. I, I want to, with this last section, see, I always say that so you think I'm coming to the end. Hey, I'm only here this one time this trip, so you, know, you can always not invite me back, that's fine. But I'm only going to spend a few minutes on this. But I thought I, I, I want to deal with an issue that relates to all this and talk, talk about being able to give an answer to defend our faith. And that is, I want to talk about a very encouraging issue. Death. You know why I want to talk about that? Because it relates to this whole issue of millions of years. And not only that, one of the big questions people ask today. How can you believe in a loving God before the death and suffering? You know, I know that this, this nation has been through its, its times of, of tragedy and all sorts of things that have happened in history. And whenever that happens, you know, people ask that question, where's God? You see, when they ask that question, they're really implying it's God's fault. If you want to understand the origin of death, we have to go back to Genesis. Adam, as a test of obedience, as the first man, the head of the human race. You can eat of all the trees, there's one tree you're not eat of, because if you do, you'll surely die. You'll forfeit your right to live. We know what happened. Adam sinned. And people, we inherit that sin nature from Adam, because he was the head of the human race. What he did, we do. We do. We sin in Adam. We have this nature. Do you know what we really said to God in Adam? 
We said we want life without God. We want to decide for ourselves. We want to be our own gods. Okay? Genesis 3. Trust God, you become as God. By the way, if, we, if God gave us what we wanted, we wouldn't even exist. He holds us together by the power of His Word. Colossians 1. Or by Him all things consist. If He gave us what we wanted, we wouldn't even be here. Do you realize none of us even deserve to exist right now? We don't deserve to be alive. We don't deserve life. We deserve nothing. But you know what God did? He withdrew some of that sustaining power so that we would run down and our bodies die. And the older you get, the more you understand that about the running down bit. And because we're made in the image of God, we're not like the animals. We're, we're made in God's image. We have a soul that's going to live forever. We'd be eternally separated from God. Do you know what God did? Right there in the Garden of Eden, the first day, when he killed an animal and clothed Adam and Eve. In fact, the Creation Museum, one of my favorite exhibits, even though it looks a little, you know, you look at it and sort of get a bit repulsed by it, but people, it's the message of the gospel. God killed an animal and clothed Adam and Eve had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins because blood represents life. And God killed an animal and clothed Adam and Eve. But an animal's blood can't take away, an animal's death can't take away our sin because we're not connected to the animals. We didn't evolve from the animals. We needed a man because a man brought sin to death. But it can't be in one of us. We're all sinners. So what did God do? He stepped into history to be the God-man, our relative, related to us, but a perfect man, to die on a cross, be raised from the dead. Pay the penalty for our sin. Offer the free gift of salvation to people. This was a picture of what was to come in Jesus Christ. That's why the Israelites sacrificed animals over and over again. But the blood wolves and goats can't take away our sin. Now, I want to challenge you. If you believe in millions of years as a Christian, you've got a problem. Because you've got millions of years of death before sin. Now, some people will say, well, the Bible doesn't say animal death came because of sin. Well, it says death. What's, what's the definition of life? The life of the flesh is in the Bible. Why did God kill an animal and clothe Adam and Eve? Not only that, but in the fossil record 70 million years before man, you've got animals eating each other. Lots of examples of animals eating each other. Wait a minute. The Bible says in Genesis 1, 29 and 30, that originally Adam and Eve uh, were vegetarian and the animals were vegetarian. See, we live in a fallen world. We look at animals today and say, oh, it's got sharp teeth, it's a meat eater. Just as an animal has sharp teeth, doesn't mean it's a meat eater, it just means it has sharp teeth. Did you know they did a bait test on the great white shark and offered it tuna and offered it squid and offered it kelp? Do you know what preferred the kelp? I've got the video over here, I don't really have time to show it. I showed that last night for those that were there. See, originally all the animals were vegetarian. In fact, you might say, well, I had some dead chicken tonight. A dead pig for breakfast. The other dead things too for your breakfast. That's okay, because in Genesis 9, after the flood, God said, just as I gave you the plants, now I give you all things. In other words, everything. And that's the reason you can eat haggis. Because <laughs> it's everything. See, even the origin of haggis is in Genesis. Isn't that incredible? The hot dog's even worse. Hey, you, you know what God said? Just as I gave you the plants, now I make a change. Verse 30 was written in the same way as verse 29. Verse 30 is for the animals that God made them vegetarian. There are brain tumors in the fossil record. There are brain tumors in dinosaur skeletons. 
There's evidence of cancer and arthritis. Did you know there are, there are medical people in America who use fossil bones and the cancer in the bones to help doctors recognize cancer? People, wait a minute. At the end, at the end of the six-day creation, God said everything he made was very good. Does God call rain tumors very good? There are thorns in the fossil record. said to be hundreds of millions of years old. The Bible says thorns came after the curse. These two things cannot be true at the same time. Which means when you go to the Grand Canyon, as I've done, I'm still on the edge of the Grand Canyon. I've had a park ranger say a long time and a little bit of water did this. And I said a lot of water and a little bit of time did this. <laughs> See, because I believe the layers in the canyon itself were formed by the flood of Noah's day. You'd expect to find millions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. You know what your Grand Canyon layers are full of? Dead things. How can you have all that death before sin? And God called that very good. In fact, most of the earth's surface is covered with sedimentary strata, fossil buried sedimentary strata. And people say, well, that was laid down over millions of years. There's no way, there's no way a global flood could do that. Hey, in May, May 18th, 1980, in America, there was a little volcanic eruption, tiny little eruption, called Mount St. Helens. And, and we might say it was massive, but it was tiny. And there were processes that laid down hundreds of feet of layers, those layers in the middle, thousands of individual layers were laid down in three hours. Now I'm not saying that's exactly what happened at the Grand Canyon, but it shows you layers can form quickly. Canyons were formed in a matter of days. And they sort of look like the Grand Canyon, just on a smaller scale. There were canyons formed by mud flows going through hard basalt rock in three, four years or so. And you know, when, when you look at the Grand Canyon, the whole area has been uplifted. We believe it formed a dam, and you can see evidence of the lakes that were once behind the dam, and uh, they broke through while the sediments were soft. People, all the evidence is consistent with that. It doesn't take millions of years to make a fossil. In fact, this fossil of an saw giving birth had to happen quickly. Had recovered quickly. When I was in Spain a few years ago, I was at a university, and a man jumped up in the middle of my talk, and he said, everyone knows it takes millions of years to form rock. Can you give an example of rock forming quickly? I said, sure, you ever heard of concrete? <laughs> It's really artificial rock, isn't it? How many times have they dug up shipwrecks and you see the bells encased in hard rock? What do you immediately think? Millions of years? Of course not. You know, uh, we're told that dinosaur bones are millions of years old, dinosaur fossils. Well, in America, there's been researchers who have found that when you dissolve out the mineralization, you actually find soft tissue. Secularists have tried their hardest to say that's not real soft tissue, it's bacterial deposits, whatever. There's been a lot of research done recently that shows it's soft tissue. Blood cells, blood vessels. In fact, there was a documentary shown on Discovery Channel in America. Let me give you a little excerpt from it. I'm not going to believe this, but when she picked up a small piece to stop the reaction by putting it in water, it stretched and it sprained and it moved all over the place. So, we knew we had something pretty unusual. It appears to be soft tissue. When they look at neighboring parts of the bone, they're even more surprised. Out popped the blood vessels, and they were pretty incredible. And I said, I don't believe it, that's not possible, we need to do it again, and again. It's one of those just goosebump-inducing scientific moments, that's all I can say. And I, they don't really happen very often. Blood vessels should not exist in fossilized bone. Many scientists believe organic molecules can't last more than 100,000 years. Yet Schweitzer's bone 
is 68 million years old. I think the presence of soft tissues and cells indicates there's a process going on that we didn't have a clue about. So I think it means that we have to kind of rethink the whole chemical process of making a bone turn into a fossil. I want you to notice something. You notice she didn't say we need to question the time. So we need to question the chemical process. You know what I found at the Creation Museum in America? You know, we get, we've had media there. In fact, in five years, we've had literally hundreds of media, secular media there. And they very rarely ask me about evolution. You know what they mainly ask me? Why do you believe in the young earth? Here's what I want you to understand. See, Richard Dawkins doesn't really care if you don't believe in evolution. See, many people in the church, and there are many good people who think, well, I, as long as I don't believe in evolution, the age of the earth, millions of years, well, that doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, that, 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 that doesn't matter, but as long as I don't believe in evolution, as long as I believe God made Adam and God made Eve, isn't that the most important thing? I want to put it to you this way. I know sin is the ultimate disease, but when it comes to the origins issue, evolution is the symptom. Millions of years is the problem. Darwin could never have proposed his ideas of evolution without millions of years. Do you know why the secularists have gotten so ballistic about a slight mention of creationists believing in thousands of years in an audio at, 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 at the Giants Causeway? You, know you know why they go ballistic? People, they can't allow just thousands of years. They have to have millions of years. Let me say it this way. Let me be really blunt with Australians trying to get one. Let me be really blunt with you. Millions of years is their anti-God religion. That's what it is. You know, we look at the Israelites and say, how could they take the pagan religion of the Canaanites and adopt it and, 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 and totally compromise what God had taught them? We have done the same. Millions of years is the Canaanite religion of our age, if you like. See, most of the churches said, oh, it doesn't matter. You can believe in millions of years, it doesn't matter. People, millions of years is not in Scripture. And then you're, then you're blaming God for death and suffering and brain tumors and diseases. <coughs> you see, we need to stand on Scripture. You know, tomorrow night I'm giving a different talk somewhere, I'm not sure where it is, another church around here, on the six days, and the fact that they're ordinary days, that's what Scripture teaches. Six days in the age of the earth. We'll talk about some of those things. And, uh, and, and, and you know, the, the thing that gets me is this. So many Christians think millions of years doesn't matter. It is the disease. It is the real, it is the anti-God religion. And, you know, that's why I get, I get so frustrated. For instance, some of you might have heard of William Lane Craig. Has anyone here heard of Dr. William Lane Craig, who's an apologist in America? But listen to what he says. I want you to listen carefully. How old is the world? The best estimates today are around 13.7 billion years or so. Now, this is good. You see, I, I, this is a position I can embrace because there are people who, who will sit here and say, no, it's six and a half thousand years old. Um, that, that is not a tenable position. I don't think it's plausible. Uh, the, the arguments that I give are right in line with mainstream science. Uh, I'm not bucking up against mainstream science in presenting these arguments, whether I'm going with the flow of what contemporary cosmology and astrophysics uh, supports. People, there's the problem in the church. Right there. I'm going with the flow with what the mainstream 
secular scientists believe. And then he's telling generations of kids, you don't have to believe in six ritual days. Now, I'm not saying he's not a Christian. He preaches the gospel. I'm sure there are people who've been saved under his ministry. I'm sure he's helped lots of people in lots of ways. But I want you to understand, that's what we've done in the church. We've got all these leaders and others who have unlocked that door and people stand back. We're losing the culture and losing our coming generation. Can I shock you even further? I've got, I've got so many videos like this. I, I can spend the next six hours. I, I have actually an incredible number of videos of Christian leaders that will blow your mind. And they all say the same thing. You can't believe Genesis, what it's saying, taken as ritual history because of what they call science, which is secular, secular historical science, because of millions of years, because of Big Bang, it's undermining biblical authority. I don't know if you've heard of the view of a man called John Sailhammer in America. John Sailhammer believes that the six days of creation have nothing to do with an account of creation, but they're to do with the promised land and God preparing the land for man or something, and that all the billions of years fit in Genesis 1-1. So that's how you deal with the billions of years. Then you can go on and believe the rest of the Bible. Well, this video is going to be a little quiet, so the sound guys need to try to turn this one up. How many of you have heard of John Piper? Oh, well, okay. Sorry about this. I want you to listen to this with your own ears. Or you might take Sandler with you, which is where I uh, feel at home, namely that what's going on here is all of creation happened uh, to prepare the land for man in in uh, verse 1, beginning, he made the heavens and the earth, that's everything, and then he built day by day to be preparing the land. He's not bringing new things into existence, he's preparing the land and causing things to grow and separating out water and earth, and then when it's all set and prepared, he creates and puts man there. And so that, that has the advantage of saying that the earth is in billions of years old as it wants to be whatever science says it is, it is. Uh, Did you get that? The advantage of not taking the six days of creation as a creation account is that you can fit the millions of years in the first one. Now people, please understand, I am not knocking John Piper. He's a great man of God. He's preached the word of God. He's preached the gospel. But what I want to say to you is that's just scratching the surface of what's happened in the leadership in the church in our world. And younger generations, therefore, is the Genesis 3 attack. You see, older generations, I find, sometimes don't understand this. And I say to them in America, I say, look, you, you and the older generation, I count myself on that now too, by the way. I mean, I, I had to dye my hair to show people I was getting old. <laughs> but, but I say to them, in the older generation, you know what they think? Well, I believed in the gap theory. Well, I believed in millions of years. It didn't affect my salvation. I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven. But you know what it did affect? How the next generation views Scripture. That's what we need to get. That's what's happening. People, if you get that and start to realize, we need to be calling our Christian academics and leaders to account and say, you have got to give up this compromise and shut that door at the beginning. They have accommodated the Genesis 3 attack. And so here's the bottom line to finish this off. When we start with God's word, we have a foundation for absolutes, right and wrong. 
Marriage, one man for one woman. Abortion, killing a human being, it's wrong. But when you start with man's word, right and wrong, it's all, it's all rough. There's no such thing. What do you want to make it to be? You can get away with it. Marriage, what do you want to make it to be? Abortion, get rid of spare cats, get rid of spare kids. What's the difference? We're all animals. When you take God's word out of the culture, when you throw God's word out of the education system, when you say it's man who determines truth, what you'll see happen is then a clash of those two worldviews and they're intolerant of each other in the sense of their beliefs. Because one says, here's what's right and what's wrong based on God's word. The other says, no, I determine right and wrong. You have no right to tell me that I'm wrong. Wait a minute, you're telling me I'm wrong. It's that clash of two worldviews. And I summarize it this way. Here's the foundation of God's word, castle of Christianity, doctrines, gospel, man's word, secular humanism, moral relativism. The secularists have attacked God's word. By the way, that attack starts in Genesis 3. That attack is not new. You know what is new? The manifestation of that attack in this era of history, because it's a particular attack on the first 11 chapters of the Bible. And much of the church has said, that doesn't matter. We can believe in millions of years. The evolution doesn't matter. As long as we believe the rest, and we, we, we preach the gospel, but people, that structure needs a whole foundation, or like that barn and the collapse. And then we look up here and say, look at all the problems in the culture, gay marriage, abortion. They are not problems. They're the symptoms. You know, in America, Christians have spent millions of dollars trying to change the culture, and it has not worked. You know why it hasn't worked? The Bible doesn't say, go into all the world and change the culture. The Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. See, here's the problem. By and large, most families have handed their kids over to the secular world and said, you teach them what you believe about origins. You teach them their hearts and minds, you know what we'll do? We'll tell them about Jesus and tell them Bible stories. And they took them and they captured them. And they changed their worldview. And it's changed the culture. You know what the Bible says? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. People, it's hearts and minds that change the culture. By and large, we handed generations of our kids over to the world and said, you change their hearts and minds. We'll tell them about Jesus. What would happen if we started to raise up generations of kids who knew what they believe, why they believe what they do? You have to defend their faith. Could answer the skeptical questions of this age. Know how to argue logically with the secularists. Could go out there and preach the gospel with authority because they believe the authority from which it comes. Man, you would change the world. People who want to make a difference in Northern Ireland. God's people need to repent of compromise. They need to repent of not training up generations to defend the faith. They need, need to repent of letting the world influence these generations. And we need to get them back to God's word and prepare them and equip them because we are in a war. Paul uses military terminology a lot because it is a battle. Not against flesh and blood. Against the spiritual forces. You know what? They're out to capture the hearts and minds of your kids. Hit with you, give me the kids, and I'll have the generation, I'll have the culture. Pharaoh. You know, the men can go out and worship the kids, women, and the kids here. Give me the kids, and I'll have the culture. You know, it's been down through the ages like that. It's the same today. Give us your kids, we'll have the culture. Say the sexes. That's what they've done. Well, that's the introduction. I would never like to start the talk. <laughs> that is only the end.
interaction. There's so much more we can do. I have fun getting all sorts of answers from quick people and, well, we can't do all that tonight. That's why we provide the resources. And let me tell you what we've, what we've done. We've got some special, special things we've done for you. First of all, our Answers in Genesis website has been uh, given a number of awards. We have thousands of articles, great search engine. Hey, I know a lot of young people here tonight. That is great. You know what I find young people today really are hungry for these answers. And you can go to our website and type in a question that you have, and by and large, we've probably got the, the articles there dealing with that topic. Now, people also come to me and they say, and, and by the way, that website has a number of other websites there. We have a kids' website, and so it goes on. People often come and ask me, what one book can I get there to help me, to equip me, and give me answers? People always want the one book. Guys, me nuts. Okay, here is the one book. You've got to get at least these three. <laughs> these are the biggest selling creation apologetics books in the world. Answers one, answers two, answers three. And together, they give you a hundred of the most asked questions about the Bible and science today um, with detailed answers. I encourage every teenager and adult to get them. In fact, even 10, 11 year old upwards will understand if they're a good reader. But they're really for sort of like 12, 13 year old upwards. A book called Begin. This book here, by the way, there's the three, three answers book. Hey, you can get them and have them read until we go to bed tonight. Begin. When I was a teacher in the secular schools in Australia, people would come in and hand out the New Testaments to the kids. Most of those kids didn't go to church. Less than 1% of Australians are Christian. And you know, when they hand out the New Testaments, I would actually groan. Now you might say, well, that's what we do. We hand out New Testaments. Okay, I want you to think about this for a moment. They didn't have the cosmology to counter the wrong cosmology they were taught in school, and they didn't have the history to understand the gospel. How do they understand what sin is if you don't understand what happened in Genesis? How do you understand you're a sinner if you don't, if you don't have a history in Genesis? You know what I've always wanted to do? To produce a book where we present the gospel the way God does it in the Bible by starting at the beginning. Wow, what a radical idea. Present the gospel the way God does it. Maybe that's why he put Genesis at the beginning. Possibility. So we do this. We put together a book that has the following scriptures. Genesis 1 to 11, a history. Exodus 20, the law. School master brings to Christ. The book of John, the life of Christ. The book of Romans, the gospel and death. And the last two chapters of Revelation, new heavens and new earth. You see that sort of a summary from beginning to end? The essence of the gospel. And then in between, we put a summary of what's in the Bible. So it's like a whole big picture perspective of the scripture with little column notes. And because we understand the Genesis 3 attack of our day, we have 10 of the most asked questions to help people understand. See, the Bible's true. See, the history is true. The history is true. That's why the gospel based on that history is true. 10 of the most asked questions with simple answers. And then what does it mean to be saved? It's an incredible witnessing. And uh, a lot of churches in America are getting that down for their new believers classes. They're chaplains handing it out to inmates in prison. They're getting a phenomenal response from it. The book already gone. What I said tonight about the book of Genesis, its importance is in there in detail, plus why young people are leaving the church. And I, I encourage every teenager, we've had teenagers read this and become Christians. You know what they said to me? Because it really defined the gospel and we never really understood it before. And it deals with why they're leaving the church. Books on dinosaurs. This is for uh, young kids. Well, 10, I'd say 10, 11 year old upwards, but even adults like it. Uh, because many adults don't know what to do with dinosaurs, where we get answers from the answer book. 
Looks like that is for Adam to present the gospel. Present the gospel to little kids. But it connects the Bible to the real world. It tells about Adam and Eve and the flood. And by the way, notice we have Adam, uh, Adam and Eve as middle ground. Because see, we, we also deal with the whole issue of you know the fact that we're all one human race. And how do you deal with different skin colours? Actually, there are different skin colours, they're all the same colour. The colour is brown. See, people think that I'm a white person. You know, in America I say to them, I'm not a white person, I don't want to be a white person. Because that's white. If I look like that, you'd be calling that vehicle with the flashing lights. We're actually all brown. Hey, have you ever taught kids that, that song, Jesus loved the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white? It's actually incorrect. It's not true. Because we're all shades of brown. It's a pigment called malachite. And actually, there are two ways to redo that chorus. Jesus loved the little children, all the children of the world, shades of brown from dark to light, all the precious in his sight. It's one way. And I have another way which makes the point. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Brown, 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 still brown, dark brown, white brown, brown. Okay, we have other books like, uh, How Do You Know the Bible is True? A lot of people ask that question. Where did the Bible come from? How do you know it's true? How do you know it's the Word of God? And here's the issue of one race, one blood. Uh, natural selection. Did you know that natural selection is the opposite of evolution when you understand it at a genetics level? It's not evidence for evolution, it's taught in the school, it's against evolution. And then answers for teenagers, science in the Bible. This is a one hour, 20 minute presentation I give to teenagers in, in America and, and going through and how do you know there's a God and what about natural selection and where can, and, you know, what about the age of the earth and, and so it goes on. And by the way, this video really sums up a lot of the arguments from the science perspective. Uh, this is, it's got six animated videos that are fun to watch, they're very fast moving, they're faster than high speed. And, uh, but they're great for young people and for adults. We have videos for little kids, or dinosaurs and so on. So what we do is this, for you, for this tour, um, these books normally cost a lot more than this, but um, we ask the publisher to do something special for us. So, you can have them 3 for 20, 5 for 30. Um, that, a lot of those books are 9 pounds, 10 pounds or more each. And uh, so there, there's, you can have them in those, con uh, those particular combinations. The talk I gave tonight, plus uh, five others, six of my main talks, main presentations, I do a lot of different presentations, but six of what I call the key presentations, done up as 12 30 minute programs with a curriculum to go with it, very professionally done. And that, just a week or so ago, uh, and, uh, the leading organization in America that does this just awarded this as the best Christian series of the year and the best Christian curriculum. Uh, it's so professionally done. Uh, normally, that's the whole set is 69 pounds over here, but you can have it tonight for 29 pounds. And also, uh, something that's revolutionized young people in our churches, and even the adults have just absolutely, it's just changed churches, is this series, Demolishing Strongholds. Uh, it's uh, 12, 30 minute programs, again, a study guide, but done it, it's not just on creation apologetics, but Christian worldview and creation apologetics. And that's normally 69 pounds, but uh, we do that 29 pounds for you too. And we even have answer books for kids. Um, it's like the big answer books, and it is especially for younger children, for, you know, 10 or 11 year old sort of upwards. And then Answers Magazine. Uh, I don't know how many of you get Answers Magazine. Uh, there is no other magazine like this in the world. 
know, years ago we used to have a magazine called Creation, but this is this is very different. In fact, this just won eight awards in America from the Evangelical Press Association. It's won the award, the top award for excellence for a Christian magazine two years in a row. And uh, it's it's Creation Project, Christian Worldview, eighty thousand subscribers. We have a mini magazine for kids in the middle, and uh, there's a collector chart at the end. I encourage every family. Look, you become connected to our ministry, Answers in Genesis. And this is an incredible teaching magazine for you, for, for this era, for this culture. And if you subscribe right here, we'll give you a free DVD for each year you subscribe, because we want people to get that magazine. Well, I can go on for millions of years, and some of you, some of you probably think I already have, but uh, what I'll do is uh, I'll hand over to we're going to close off, and I'll be down in the front here if you want to come and ask questions. The books are in the, in the well, you've got to go out here, yeah, and you go up the stairs and up the stairs and you get to the third one's a big room there. And Jubilee Hall, I think they call it, and they're spread out for you. So I encourage you to do that, or you can take the elevator. One of the things I've noticed over here, or lifts, that's right, you call them lifts over. Why are your lifts so small? <laughs> Just that every building we go into, you know, you get two people in there and that's it. Anyway, I'm going to hand back over to folks. Thank you very much, Dr. Ham. Really appreciate it for coming tonight and for blessing us. And do 